You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. Do you have your Bibles ready? Turn to Genesis 1. We've been tossing around this Latin phrase called Imago Dei, the image of God. We're going to look at that this evening. We're going to build a foundation for, for Imago Dei, and then the rest of the year, we're going to build off of it. Tonight's unique. We're going to, um, tonight will be a, a little bit different, building the foundation. You'll hear of it again as the year progresses, but after the foundation is laid tonight, the rest of the year... Um, It'll be, it'll be a little bit different teaching style. Genesis 1, I kind of see this as the blueprint of everything, really. The beginning, the plans, the mechanic ma- manual. Genesis 1, 24. If you've never opened up the Bible, it's the first book. If you don't have a Bible, and maybe you could ask the guy beside you to show you where it's at, that's Okay. This is the sixth day of creation. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps in the earth according to its kind, and God saw it that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, imago Dei, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the, the earth and over the, the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is one of those verses, passages in Scripture. It's real easy to just kind of breeze over it real quick and to to not to take it lightly and try to get on to good stuff like the Gospels and the Ephesians and Galatians and these deep books. I think that it is very possible that one of the most profound things about man is what you just read in those verses, is that man, and, and don't get all puffed up, because it's not about you, that man is created in the image of his maker, the image of God. We're going to be sitting on that for a long time. Um, I'm not sure if uh, I was reading, if you've ever heard of the book A.W. Any books by A.W. Tozer, they're really good. There's one book called Knowledge of the Holy. If you don't have it, Tanner and I and the other servant leaders are going to be using that book as a quasi-study guide this year. If if you'd like to get a hold of it, let us know. But I was reading another book of his called Whatever Happened to Worship, and um, a word hit me, the word inception, the beginning, the starting place. So, um, so I looked it up because I'd seen the movie, but I really didn't know what the word meant. And uh, do you remember in the movie where it's the, 
they're talking about um, placing an idea deep, deep within a person so that it gnaws at you, so that you can't get rid of it. I think we have that. And here's the idea that man cannot shake. What's my purpose? What's my identity? What am I here for? What, What makes me happy? That'd be a kind of an easier way to say it. Everything you see has purpose. The the shoes you are wearing have a certain purpose. This guy here, he's got flip-flops on. They have a purpose to keep his feet cool. This guy here, he's got cowboy boots. I see running shoes. I see skateboarding shoes. They have their purpose. But if you were to go ride a horse with these flip-flops on, you would realize that, you, that the shoe serves the wrong purpose. And if you were to go to the beach in your shorts with these cowboy boots on, you'd realize really quickly that you've confused the purpose of these shoes. Okay? A, a carpenter, has, he has many hammers. As a blacksmith, I use several different hammers. I have a hammer for shaping steel, and I have another hammer for driving nails. You can't confuse them. The other week, I was over um, towards Livingston shoeing a horse. I forgot my shaping hammer. And I can't use my little dinky driving hammer to bend steel. So I was hoping nobody was looking, and I took a trailer hitch, and I started, like, hammering the shoe to try to bend it. You have to have... Each tool has a certain purpose. If you confuse the purpose... The result is frustration, embarrassment, if you wear your boots to the beach. Um, what's your purpose? Do you ever think about that? Everybody, of course you have. My kids think about this. You know what they think their purpose is? When I get home, they want to, um, they're waiting for me. They race me from the fence to, the ho- to home, and the first thing I want to do is play with Dad. In fact, when we get up in the mornings, Jen and I sit in the couch, we have our quiet time, and a lot of times they'll beat us up, not as in literally like pow, but they'll get up before us, and um, they don't want to sit in the couch and like have like a cup of coffee in the Word. They want to play. They want to have fun, and they never get enough. Like, it's not like I can play with Rhett and Jack and Jude, and they're like, all right, Dad, enough fun. Can't we be serious a little bit? Can't we... It's never enough. See, they think their purpose in life is to be satisfied and have fun. A student, students think they have a purpose. Their purpose is to to go to school. Why? Well, you've got to get good grades. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can earn a good living. And I talked to a guy uh, no, is it? I didn't talk to a guy. I was watching an interview with a guy. He said, you know, I run. I don't really like to run, but it gets me what I, what I want. And that way I can get the things that I want. And a lot of times we think if I get the good grades, I'll get the good job, and then I can have fun, and I can buy the right car. I can get the right house. See, it's never enough because you can acquire these things and they're, they're not satisfying. So you think, well, maybe it's the right relationship. What if, it's the, what if I find a girl pretty enough? Wouldn't that satisfy? Wouldn't if I find Prince Charming? Wouldn't he satisfy? 
And then you, you find her or you find him and you find out that somebody else is more charming. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's always somebody else more appealing, more charming. So you think, well, maybe if we do more things together. And so you start to explore and it doesn't satisfy. And so you get more physical with the person and it doesn't satisfy. And you've got to have more. You've got to have, it doesn't satisfy. The truth is, is that all of the men or all of the women that you could ever acquire would not satisfy. A man named Solomon, can you imagine if you had endless resources? Everything you want, you got. Solomon had hundreds of wives. You like power? He loved power. He had thousands of horses and chariots. He was a military, had everything he needed. He was the, you like, um, you like intelligence? If I was only a little smarter, there was not a man wiser than Solomon. You know what his book says? As he dies, it's meaningless. It's vanity. It's about me. And it's meaningless. And all these pursuits, all these, I got to find purpose. In the end, it's like, I guess, it's, I guess the answer's more because that didn't satisfy. Think about it. Think about the things that you want right now. Now, think, well, first, think about the things you wanted yesterday and that you got. Are you happy with them? Remember, that, remember how cool the iPhone 4 was? I can't even sell mine right now. <laughs> we went the faster. The next update. It's never enough to satisfy. I wonder if I was to go around the room what people would say their purpose is. What you think will make you happy. I'd like to suggest to you this evening that um, in, in God's blueprint, the way he designed you, the mechanic manual, scripture, Genesis, that he gave you a purpose. I want to talk about that for a little while with you this evening. Let's go to Genesis, you're already there, back to Genesis 21, 26. Let's think about this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And there's two words that I'd like to camp out on, image and and likeness. It's repeated again. So God created man in his own image, and then he says it again. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. You know what that means? Did you ever think that this is the, like if you open your Bible, this is the first thing that's ever said about you, that's ever said about man, and that is that he's created in God's image. Does that That should be like, ding, 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 ding. That sounds important to me. Okay? Don't overlook that. Don't overlook these little details. That's the first thing. The the word image and likeness are extremely close. The word means, this, this caught me off guard, it could mean idol. It could mean a statue. It could mean a chip. To chip. Like a verb, like if you've heard the, um, the phrase, a chip off the old block. 
something like that, that you take something and you carve it away so that when you have it, it reminds you of what it came from, okay? That's what the word image and likeness is kind of getting at. The traditional view, and if you read, if you Google image and likeness, if you Google these verses, if you have theology books, um, there are pages and pages and books about what it means that man is created in the image of God. Traditionally, man thinks, therefore God must be a think, thinking being. Man has, and, and we see that in Scripture. Man has emotions, God must have emotions, and we see he has strong, violent, passion, love emotions. We see that God has an intellect, and we have an intellect. And we see these different things about God that's, that we have. Um, I'd like you to, I want to take, I'm a simple kind of guy, and I want to simplify uh, image and likeness for us. Um, one of the things that Tanner and I would like to do as we, as we teach you is also to not just teach you the word, but teach you how to study the word. Uh, if you've had one of Pastor Brian's Bible study methods class, he hammers on the word context. I want to talk about one type of context this evening, and that would be the cultural context. Most people think, a lot of people think that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, okay? When Moses wrote the book of Genesis, if he wrote the book of Genesis, what did he think image and likeness meant? What did it mean in his context? We can know that because there's actually images and likenesses that we have record of. For instance, if, um, if I was a king, like um, back then, and uh, I wanted to, to spread my kingliness, I would go over to another person's country. What's your name? Mitchell. Mitchell, and I would conquer Mitchell's country. And then... Mitchell, could you stand up? Yeah. Thank you, man. And then I would set a statue right in the center of this town, and it would resemble me. You could stay standing. And um, everybody in that town knew who was in authority, who was in control, because in the center of town, they could see something that looked like me. But that wasn't enough, because I wanted to conquer all the known world. So I'd go over here to Nate's kingdom, Stand up, Nate. I'd conquer his kingdom, and I'd set up the same in here. And then I would continue to go around, and, I, and this is what kings did. They would set up statues. You guys can sit down. Thank you, guys. And um, when you came to that town or that city or that country, you knew who to pay taxes to. You knew who was an authority because there was a statue called, and officially it was called, the image and the likeness. And it represented, even though the king was not there, I've left. I'm, I'm back in Kingtown um, collecting all of the taxes from these guys. You knew who was in charge because my image and my likeness represented me even while I was gone. Okay, let me ask you this. With that understanding in that context, what does it mean that you, 
that man is created in God's image and God's likeness. Like, just think about that for a second. Rather than thinking, I am thinking, so God must be thinking. Let's reverse that and say, wait a second, maybe I'm to do something to image and likeness and to remind others of my creator. If I'm his image and his likeness. Um, has anyone ever seen God? Nope. John 1.18 says no one's ever seen God. God is invisible. He is the invisible God. So what is God placed on earth? Just like I placed something to represent me, what is God placed on earth to demonstrate God's character? To demonstrate God's authority over the earth? To demonstrate God's love? You got a little clue here in Genesis. The very first thing that God said to do was let them have dominion. Let them do what I do. Just like God has dominion over his creation, he wanted man to reflect him by also having dominion over the creation. They're to reflect God. Man's purpose is the visual representation of the invisible God. John Piper, he calls them, he says, we're signposts. Anybody been a glacier? Um, thank you. You can put your hands down. Uh, if, you're, if you're driving to Glacier and you see a sign, okay, that says, Glacier, this way, you don't stop at the sign and set your tent up and take pictures of the sign and be like, wow, I love Glacier. This is awesome. No, you, you look at the sign and you say, okay. I guess I should go that way. See, a sign does not exist for itself. It exists for something else. What about a mirror? I think, um, I think it was Calvin who uh, described that the image and likeness that we are like a mirror. What does a mirror exist for? A mirror does not exist for itself. If I had a, a mirror... And I do. What's the purpose of a mirror? Like, does a mirror just enjoy being a mirror? Is it fulfilled just by being in a room all by itself in the dark? No. The purpose of a mirror, could you hit those lights? The purpose of a mirror is to reflect. You see that? (laughs) This is what the image and likeness of God is to do. It's to take something about God... And it hits man, and it's demonstrated. You can turn the lights off. (laughs) Thank you. Through creation, we're mirrors. We're images and likenesses. Isn't that awkward seeing yourself? (laughs) That's a good illustration of what man is. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for something to look into us and to for God for God to be seen in us. Um, did you realize that as you read through Genesis, the uniqueness of that man is created in God's image? 
We sang, or Nate talked about the seraphims who are around the throne constantly. They are specially equipped to be in the presence of a holy God. Not even the, the seraphims are called the image and the likeness of God. That's incredible. And it's not that you're incredible. It's that you have an incredible purpose. This is what fills man up when he is fulfilling that purpose. So let me ask you a question. What on, the earth, what, what, what on earth happened? Because there are times, many times, that I don't feel filled up. Like I still, there's something in my flesh that says uh, I, more. I, I'm still looking for something satisfying. I remember I had a truck and it just wasn't, it was never fast enough. You ever have hobbies like that where you, it's just, it, there's something in our flesh that always wants more. Something on the earth has, has gone wrong because God has created us to be full of his purpose, to enjoy being image bearers. And think about yourself Think about the people you are around. Do you see people who are content? Do you see people who they enjoy the life they're living? And they're like, you know what? I'm content with, totally content. I don't want any more. I don't see that. I don't see people who, through Scripture, it says that we're to be blessed, which is happy. You don't see that in the world. My thought is that Maybe when we are feeling and doing these things, it's because we're like cowboy boots at the beach. We're not fulfilling our purpose that we were designed for. Genesis, I'd like you to go to turn over to Genesis 5. There's a subtle shift here I'd like to point out to you in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Okay, a couple pages over. Listen carefully. This is the book, of the, this is what God does. He, in Genesis 1, he goes over creation. In Genesis 2, he goes over creation again a little differently. Okay, check that out sometime. In Genesis 5, he's going to go through it really quick, what we just read, in a different way. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him, sound familiar, in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Okay, there's the whole creation account. In a two verses. Okay, verse three, listen. And Adam lived 160 years and begot a son in his own image. See, that, that's interesting. There's a subtle shift there that Adam, just a couple verses up, he made him in the likeness of God. And you go down to verse three, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness. You see, in verse 1 and 2, the mirror is reflecting its creator, right? What's the mirror reflecting in verse 3? Mankind. You know, you, do you know how, you know what happens when a mirror breaks? If I were to take that mirror, break it in half, do you know what it would, it would reflect? Itself. You see, the mirror's been broken. Mankind, the purpose of mankind is broken. And rather than reflecting holy and perfectly God, we've distorted God. 
What do you mean, Andy? Well, first, there's a little clue here. Something has happened with the pages that we've turned that we're now reflecting ourselves. Go back to Genesis 3. If you've never been in Genesis 3, it's commonly called the fall of man. A good God told Adam and Eve certain boundaries to keep. He said, the whole garden's yours, but do not eat of the, of the fruit of this tree. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to their eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. You see, rather than trusting a good God, man has reflected himself and he, there's distrust of a good God. Genesis 3, 7 Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You see, rather than being and living openness before a God who sees all, sin has caused man shame. The mirror is broken. The image has been broken. It's it's distorted. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You see, now man is running in fear from God rather than enjoying a friendship with God. You see, that's what sin in Genesis 3, and it spread down through Adam's family tree the whole way to me. We are born shamed of God because of our sin. God is holy and we are not. We are born fearful of God in rebellion because we want our way. And if there is a God, then I've got a problem because that means I can't have what I want. That's called rebellion. We run the exact opposite way. It's God-hating. And we feel shame and fear. You see, the mirror, rather than doing what it was created to do, has been broken and contorted. Um, Genesis 3, if you read through it, is the perversion. Is God's image totally erased? No, it's not. There's still fragments of it there. In fact, that's the basis of why you should not murder. Why shouldn't you murder a person? Because man is created in the image of God. The image is still there, but it's been perverted. That's exactly what Satan wanted. See, it's not about me. It's about God. And what more would Satan love than to have this mirror tell a dishonest lie about who God is? Because that's what a, that's what a mirror does when it's bent and it's broken. It's dishonest. It lies. And for the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, a broken mirror says, no, he's not. Rather than reflect, this is what sin has done to the image of God. Rather than reflecting who God is, I desire to reflect who I am. You know what that's called? Independence. Does that sound familiar? This is what sin has done to the image of God. Rather than giving glory to God like we were designed to do, what do we desire? We desire to give glory to me. What is that called? 
arrogant, proud. Does that sound familiar? Sure does to me. I wrestle with these things. This is what the sin has done to the image of God. Rather than worshiping God like we were designed to do, Tozer says the most natural place for a man is on his knees praying and worshiping the Lord. That's what's natural. But what a sin has caused us to do? To worship me. To worship you. You know what that's called? Idolatry. You think, isn't idolatry one of those things like a long time ago? No. No, it just means that if I worship relationships, that I want a relationship, then I will worship finding the right girl to meet that need for me. It's self-worship. If I, if I think that cars are going to bring me happiness, I will not be satisfied until I earn enough money to get that car because I worship me. And you could go on and on and on through sex, through grades, through sports teams, and we worship. We're worshipers. The problem is, is the mirror is broken and it's all reflected back at us. Do you see that? And it's never enough. More. More. The ex- I want to show you an example of the outcome of this. In Genesis 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember that? You could turn there if you want. Um, Tower of Babel, the men have come together. The people have come together. They've united. And they've decided to build themselves this huge tower. Now, why do they want to build a tower? I mean, really. 11.4 kind of gives you a cue into it. It says, come, let us make a name for ourselves. What's the big idea behind the tower? The idea is that rather than reflecting God, man wants the whole world to see them. The mirror's been broken. So what does God do? In Genesis 11.9, it says that God comes down and he sees this tower. You see, God is, he, he does not let us go and be satisfied with our silly little whims. He loves himself too much. What do you mean by that, Andy? You see, if, and that sounds like a selfish thing to say, but it's not. Because if he is the highest and the greatest and deserves the most glory, if he was to love anything else, he would, then something else would be greater. And if he's made you in his image, you know what that makes him? A jealous God. Because he wants you to do what you were created to do and to reflect him. God doesn't just let these people go. In verse 11, 9, it says that he causes Babel. You know what Babel means? Confusion. God will not allow his creation to pleasure in anything other than himself. What does Babel look like today? Confusion. Looks like people who are empty because they've been pursuing themselves and they realize that it's an empty hole. It looks like people who are depressed Discouraged, suicidal, confused, worn down, beaten down because they've, they're like cowboy boots at the beach. It's not where they belong. It's not their purpose. 
Look at Psalms 135. I want to show you what else happens when we continue to pursue our purpose in idols. Psalms 135, if you've never been in the Bible, go directly to the center and you'll find Psalms. And if you don't add accounts before, never mind. Psalms 135. Okay, I'm there. The idols, and we kind of looked at this a little bit, the idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. The idols are both blind, deaf, and dumb, nor is there any breath in, them, in their mouths. They're dead, 18, and those who make them are like them. I underline that because that is what my selfish pursuits do. It's what happens when I, Andy looks for identity in these silly idols. I become blind, deaf, and dumb, and I act like a dead man, worshiping a dead thing. What is your identity? Like, what, what are you proud of? Like, this, this, is, this is who, I'm a singer. And if my voice was taken away, I don't, I don't know who I would be. Like, what's your identity? Is it something that can be snatched away that easy? The psalm says, if you pursue that, nah, not a singer. <laughs> um, if you pursue those things, they are empty pursuits and you'll find yourself an empty person. I guarantee that there's people in this room that are like, yeah, sometimes I feel pretty empty. And you get that rush of chasing it, and then you get it, and then you're like, what next? More. I guess there's more. I guess more is the answer. It's not the answer. Here's a good quote for you guys. Not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be mere shadow of the substance we were created to have Not to display God's worth by enjoying him above all things as to be a mere echo of the music we were created to make. This is a great tragedy. Humans are not made to be shadows and echoes. We were made to have a God-like substance. We were made to be filled up and make God-like music and God-like impact. That is what it means to be created in the image of God. That's a, a quote by John Piper. When we don't live for the purpose we were created, we live a hollow echo of a life. G.K. Beale says, when we revere or worship, what we revere, what we worship, we resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Whatever you worship, whatever you want so bad that you'll do anything to get it, whatever you revere, you'll resemble. It'll become your identity. And it'll be either for your ruin, if it's something of this earth, but if it's for the Lord, it's for restoration. So what do we do? How does the mirror get fixed? You know? How how does it accomplish the purpose that it was meant to do? You can't do anything. That's why Christians love what Scripture calls grace. Favor, undeserved favor. Creation cannot fix itself. The creator needs to fix the creation. So how will God restore his image? Let's go back to Genesis 3. 
I want to talk about a couple things that God is going to do. Genesis 3, after man falls, after man has hidden in shame and is running, God pulls man together, he pulls women, he pulls the snake together, which was Satan. Genesis 3, 15, God prophesies. So the Lord God said, he says something. He's going he's to say how I am going to restore my creation. So, he, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust in the day of your life, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now listen to this. He, the seed of the woman, not the man. You see, there's going to be somebody coming who is born of a woman, but is not is separate from a man. That's, that's God prophesying. And he shall bruise Satan's sins. He shall bruise the heel. He shall bruise the head, which is a death blow. He will kill it, but you shall bruise his heel. So the Lord is he's prophesying of what is going to happen in the future. Genesis 3.21, first he prophesies, then he demonstrates. You see, in the meantime, Adam and Eve, they've tried to cover themselves. They know they're broken. They know they're full of shame. So they get insufficient coverings. They get fig leaves, which are no good. So this is what God does. Also for Adam, verse 21, and his wife, the Lord God made, first he speaks, and now he makes tunics of skin and clothes them. Don't read over that too fast. Uh, in order for there to be a tunic of skin, there had to be, a, to be a death. And look who made this tunic. God made it. God speaks, and he says there's going to be, sin will be, Satan will be crushed, and it's going to take a sacrifice. And you say, why? Why? Why does it have to be that way? Because a, a cosmic offense, which is sin, our sin against God is a cosmic offense, is going to take a tragic, a, a cosmic payment, which is a sacrifice. You see, if God is holy, perfect, he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and a broken mirror is sin, what are we to do? We cannot exist because we are rebels and can't exist within a holy God. The only thing is that God must do something. Um, you know, up till now, we've talked a lot about God and his image. And we need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus, God's son. Because if you, Jesus is... He is that bridge between a broken mirror and a holy God. If we don't talk about this, th then you're left with, with a gap in between. Galatians 4.4 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, when the perfect time came, when just the right time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Does that ring a bell at all? That should, because that should take you the whole way back to Genesis 
Three were the seed of the woman, not the man. So it's God's son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus? Let's consider who Jesus is for a second and tie this back to Genesis 1 like we've been looking at. I'll give you a clue. John, John 1.14. And guys, we're going through a lot of verses and I, um, do you have the notes? Cool. If you don't have notes, don't, don't worry about them now. It's the very end. Um, I have all these scriptures laid out for you. You can get them afterwards. But I would encourage you to, to look through this in your own quiet time because I'm going to rattle off some verses here. John 1.14, listen to this. Who is Jesus? And the Word became flesh, the Word being Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the glory of the Father. He is the weight is the weight that we feel of God's glory. Okay, let me say it another way. Hebrews 1.3 says this, who being the brightness of his glory, if I was to hold up that mirror again, and you don't see the, the lights that are up in it, but, but you get the light. Okay, Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image. Does that sound familiar? He is the image of his person. The exact image. It's not that Jesus is like us. He is the, he is the ex- exact image of the Father. Let me say it another way. Colossians 1.15 says this. He is the image. He is what we see of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Let me say it another way. When... Um, Jesus' disciples were questioning him and said, Jesus, it's been so long. Show us the Father. In John 14, 9, Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the exact image of God. He is God. Hold that right there, okay? Now let's look at it another way. Who is Jesus? Romans 8, 3 says this. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his son. You see, if you want to be right with God, you got to keep the whole law. And you can't do that because your flesh is weak. For what the law could not do, because we are weak in the flesh, God did. How did God do it? By sending his son, God comes, here's your word, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? The verse goes on, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. The law, the purpose of the law, the purpose of what we read in the Old Testament is to show you that you can't do it. You can't fix it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never, even if you try to like, like fix the mirror and like do your best to, all you'll be is proud. So what God does is he comes 
He fixes it by sending his own son, and he does it by sending him in the likeness of sinful, fle- sinful flesh. Not that he was a sinner because he kept the law, but he looked and he was a man. Let me say it another way. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, But Jesus, but he, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form, sound familiar, of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance as a man, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what, who is Jesus? Well, on one hand, he is the exact image of the Father. He is God. But on the other hand, he is made in the image. God puts on the suit of a man, and he comes down, and he humbled himself even to the point of dying. That should ring a bell. That should take you the whole way back to Genesis 3. That's exactly what God said would happen. Remember, he killed an animal and clothed, shamed Adam and Eve. God sends his son as a sacrifice to cover this shameful, sinful man. This is what's going on. Jesus is a double representation. He perfectly represents the Father. He perfectly represents man. And God takes this double representation and he crushes him, Isaiah says, on the cross. And the Father kills him for that sacrifice for sin. Because you couldn't. You're just a broken mirror. But God could. What was the purpose of Jesus' death? It's a good question. What did it do? By faith in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection. Secondly, from turning from our sin, our independence, our rebellion, and our pride, by faith in Christ and repentance from sin, listen to Romans 8.29. This is what, this is what Christ does. For whom he foreknew, he predestined, listen to this, to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what Christ does. He takes broken men and women who do not have a purpose and he conforms them in the image of Jesus. Who's Jesus? You better turn to Colossians 1.16. And, and while you're turning there, let me say it another way. Colossians 3.10 says, and having put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge, what knowledge? The knowledge that you're reading but who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Who created man? Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created by him. Who? By Christ. Do you, see, do you see what the gospel does? Okay, pay attention for a second. Genesis 1. God creates man in his image right? Genesis 3, man falls, the mirror is broken, and is separated. And rather than reflecting God, we reflect ourselves, and there is nothing you can do. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Jesus comes, 
He dies on the cross, and when we place our faith in him, we are made in the image of our creator, who is Jesus. Faith in Jesus takes you the whole way back to Genesis 1 to fulfill what you were created to be. You see, 1 John uh, 2, 6 if we claim to abide in him, we should walk as he walked. And Christian means that we are little Christs. To be like Christ, to be a Christian, to place our faith in Christ, to repent of our sins, is to go the whole way back to do what you were created to do. Because Christ made you. And then he died for you. So that you could be brought back to fulfill that purpose that you were created to fulfill. Do you see that full circle? And I didn't do anything. It's all Christ. Even my faith. It's his work, not my work. The gospel brings us full circle. This is where the mirror gets fixed and sin no longer separates you know, as Christians, we, we, we say, like, what's your purpose in life? And we'll say, well, to give God glory, right? What does that mean? This is what it means. To bear, until you bear, are an image bearer, you cannot give God glory. You can't. You know why? Because the mirror only reflects you, okay? We, we use other words like, well, um, Worship. I just want to worship God. You cannot worship God if you are not reborn again and remade a new creation. Because up until now, your life, your mirror reflects only you. See what Christ does? Fixes it. This is where worship and glory and reflecting begin. So all of that that whole spiel was an introduction to the Imago Dei. Because if you don't get this part, which is the gospel, you can't Imago Dei. You only Imago you, okay? You, you, you can't reflect the Lord, not, not like he deserves. Tozer quote, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's, I think it's very poignant to our study. What you think of God is the most important thing about you. Our study this entire year will be of the character of who God is, okay? And that's kind of one of those lofty things, but kind of like the light. And here's you. If you don't know who God is, how are you going to know how to reflect him on campus this week? in your relationship. See, the more you know about who God is, the better image bearer you'll be. Um, a Christian is not just a student. You may go to school and you may good, good, get good grades, but a Christian, you see, you're an image bearer on campus. That's your purpose. Your purpose isn't to get good grades. You may get good grades and you should try but your purpose, what will bring you fulfillment in school is when you do this on campus. Do you get that? If you're in a relationship, your purpose is not to, to get more physical. Your purpose is not to get someone who fulfills me more. Your purpose is for 
two people to be image bearers and for the relationship to reflect who God is. And if God says something like wait, will you wait? Will you reflect him? Do you trust his word? Or will you reflect yourself? If you're on a team, your purpose isn't to win. Camaraderie, team spirit. It's not your purpose. Your purpose, whether you win or whether you lose, is to bear the image. Your purpose in getting a job is not to earn money. Your purpose in getting a job is that God places you all over this world and you'll earn money, yeah, but you'll bear the image. Like that king, remember, over here and over here? So that people, they see who God is. It's not about your personal purpose. This is about God's purposes being shown through you. That's a purpose worth living for. That's a purpose worth dying for. So I'd encourage you to to come, to continue to come. I'd encourage you to get that book by A.W. Tozer, um, Knowledge of the Holy. That'll be helpful. And uh, to come learn through the enablement of the gospel to bear God's image, Imago Dei. Let's, um, let's close in prayer. And if you guys would like all the scriptures that I read, we can I'll have them up front afterwards. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Um, in your justice, you could have destroyed us as soon as we rebelled against you. Lord, you could destroy us, even, and, and rightly so, Lord, because we are, we're rebels, we're God-haters. But Lord, you're good. Lord, thank you for your son and the work of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would, you would if there's anybody here, Lord, get to enable faith, to open eyes, Lord, we would pl- place our trust in what you have done, Lord, and, and Lord, help us. We are so stinking weak. Help us to turn from our sin. Even as a Christian, Lord, I pray, that, I pray for help daily, Lord, that I would be more and more conformed to my creator, Jesus, that I would please you more. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's so rich, so good. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.